Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you listen to this. Welcome to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting. Today, I am honored to have the TSO on the show, Tim Heron. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate you coming on. I know that schedules are hectic, and I appreciate you uh, making time in your very busy schedule for me. Uh, no worries, man. It's awesome. It is. Um, Tim, I'll be straight with you. You are one of my biggest mentors in getting into shooting, and I really appreciate it. And we've actually, with prior history, we've taken a class together. I was lucky enough a year ago, almost be a year ago, where I've taken a class from you uh, at Lakes, Lake City, Michigan. And I can't wait for that to roll around again. I just got word yesterday that they started ripping up the range. So that'll be done hopefully mid-May. Awesome. So it's going to be cool. I think they're adding a 360 bay and another 100-yard bay and then another 1,000-yard range. That's super cool. Yeah, I just spoke to uh, the class host there, uh, Jake Wedge, and I believe he told me that, that, uh, that the class is now um, into uh, a waiting list. So the class is sold out, which is awesome to hear. And he's now taking uh, he's taking five or six people in on the wait list. So in case that there's any kind of last minute dropouts or whatever, he can fill from a wait list. So I'm extremely honored to, to be able to come back to MTC range. And did that whole class last year was really cool. Like we all got to stay in the same Airbnb, uh, that house there. And that, that, that was a lot of fun. And your wife, of course, brought, you know, made awesome lunch both days and, yeah that's that's super cool awesome class it was and i'm honestly it's so cool because the guys up there are really nice and the facility is pretty good if it was a little bit closer to town it wouldn't be so inconvenient but it's not bad <laughs> it's, it's not bad no it's not but luckily enough this year the, the wife's coming back up she's gonna make lunch again because who wants to worry about making a lunch so she's gonna come back up and do that again which will be fantastic uh, it's awesome but um, let's see. We got last year was so fun. I don't know how we're going to top it except have more fun. Definitely. But um, let's get into this, Tim. I know who you are. Some of my listeners might know who you are, but I need the down and dirty. Who is Tim Heron, and how did you get into shooting? So I am Tim Heron. Um, uh, I got into shooting about uh, back in 2010. Um, I picked up, literally picked up and purchased my first handgun. Um, and very quickly, like I, I'm never the type of person to do things just like half-assed, right? You know, it's like buying a gun and being like, yep, I'm a man. Like I was born knowing how to shoot a gun. That wasn't me. So I bought a gun, initially sought out some, you know, some, some basic instruction, took like an NRA basic pistol class. Then took like, you know, defensive, you know, like a, my, a, like a defensive pistol one, defensive pistol two classes um, with some local instructors back in Kansas City. Um, got sick and tired of just, and got bored really with just shooting at like an indoor range or an outdoor range just like at a bay, you know, and, and shooting just one target all the time. So quickly found USPSA and my life was changed forever. Um, I, I, you know, kind of became, you know, on that, like that, that road to be, you know, becoming what I thought was a really good shooter, um, you know, up 2012, 2013, um, then sought out some further instruction, uh, to better myself as a, as a competitive shooter, um, was to become a grandmaster level, uh, pistol shooter in 2014, started teaching classes. Primarily I started teaching just as a, 
like I, I want to share the knowledge that I've got, you know, from people. Um, like I, it's like having all those aha moments and then being able to give that to somebody else is what initially kind of started me down the path of teaching and just sharing information. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, people were kind of willing to pay me for some of that, that education. Um, and then that, that kind of started my, you know, my desire to, to become kind of a teacher semi-professionally. So I was doing it part-time as I still was a, you know, like a, a full-time employee. Um, and then I left full-time employment and left kind of that safety net of being employed by someone else to pursue teaching full-time, uh, end of 2018, first of 2019. So I'm working on what is now 2019, 2020. This is the beginning of my third year of full-time self-employment as a, uh, as a firearms instructor. And I travel all over the country kind of as a, I guess you could say kind of a, a like a, a top ranked or premier, uh, you know, nationally renowned trainer, um, which is, which has been awesome for me. Um, just to be able to give back to people. And like I said, just to share knowledge. Um, so I own Tim Heron shooting LLC, which of, of course is a high performance, uh, high performance shooting school. And like I said, I get to, I get to travel all over this great country and, and, uh, and teach classes to you know, open enrollment classes to, to hobbyists, competitors, defensive minded shooters and law enforcement. So, um, uh, it's been, it's been great. Yes. And you are one of those top renowned instructors now, thanks to the push of one of our close friends, uh, Steve Fisher, who has pushed you out the door and told you to, uh, get on your shit and, uh, go teach and. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Steve's been, you know, Steve's been one of my biggest mentors as far as, uh, as far as, you know, like how to operate a business and how to think, you know, how to strategize and how to think not only as like just a business owner, but also as a trainer, as an instructor, as an educator, right. How to always give the best of yourself to your students. Um, and how to, you know, how to give the best information you can to those students as well. So yeah, it, it, without him, you know, hardly any of this would be possible. I'd still be, I'd still be kind of flailing about kind of as a part-time guy, you know, wondering like how the hell to make this a full-time thing. So no, it's been mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And I'll be honest, how did I found out through you is from Steve. Uh, I don't know how it came up in one of Steve's live streams on Instagram that he does wherever he's driving or in the basement dungeon he, of his house. Uh, you came up and Googled in then like, I think the same time that came out, you had done a show with Scott, Scott Jedlinski, another one of uh -huh. your good friends. And I think that's yeah. what kind of hooked me on the competition shooting. And, you know, through that, I, we figured you, I, I don't know, you, you were supposed to come to Michigan to the Detroit area, but that range fell through. And luckily enough, yep. Jake was able to pick up the Lake City location for us and and that's how that kind of worked because i'd bugged you for months about that it's like because it kept saying tentative on your schedule yeah the yeah the the detroit area class was i mean that was we fought and fought and fought with the range the range wanted you know like five or six uh, you know like uh range officers or so's to you know try to make everything but they wanted to be paid for their time I mean, it was it was a pain in the butt um unfortunately uh i i believe zach um i can't remember zach's last name but uh maybe zach white but he wanted to like host me and, and, and have me out there. And unfortunately, like the, the range kind of gave him a bunch of pushback and flack and then kind of pushed back on me. It just became a pain in the butt. And yeah, Jake reached out and was like, dude, I'd love to have you up here at MTC. And the rest is history. It's been it's been a phenomenal, uh, you know, kind of phenomenal year last year. 
um, built a great relationship with those guys at MTC. And like I said, we're hoping to keep this as a, as an ongoing, you know, once a year class. Um, yeah, Jedi and I, uh, you know, Scott's also, uh, you know, another very, 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 very close friend of mine. Um, Jedi and I kind of got into the teaching game kind of at the same time too. Um, uh, I'm very fortunate. I got to kind of help Scott, you know, like attain a a couple of his goals as a shooter, as a competitive shooter. Um, and then, you know, we, we both kind of went off to teach about the same time. And then, you know, Scott just really blew up, you know, being able to kind of find that niche. He really fits in with, uh, with red dot classes and things like that. And, uh, has been super successful. It's awesome to see his success on, you know, with that. Um, and yeah, we still kind of like Steve and I, Steve and I talk almost every day, Scott and I talk, you know, every, every other day or so, or every day too. Um, it's great. I mean, when you've got not only people that, you know, like, I, I guess you could say in essence, like we we're, we're peers, right. We're kind of a peer group, which is great, but we all, we all teach, um, it, it, like technically, I guess you could say maybe we're in direct competition with each other, but we're not. And that's, it's never been perceived that way as, as teachers, you know, or as, or as trainers, it's like constantly, like I recommend people to Scott and Steve's classes and Steve and Scott recommend people to my classes. And, and it just, it goes full circle. And it's, it's been great when like the whole like kind of training community and training cadre is able to work together to, you know, to, to better the, the entire industry, which is awesome. So and it's fabulous, honestly, because I don't think anyone, unless you're stealing someone's curriculum directly, I don't think they wouldn't tell somebody to go out and seek someone else's training. Because if you only seek one person's training, you kind of become stagnant and, do- stagnant and dogmatic about what you're learning when you're doing and not really evolving and really coming full circle with how you're learning. Exactly. And and honestly, those guys that are stealing curriculum and not giving credit where credit is due, because I'll be I'll be honest, you know, I mean, as as trainers or as instructors, like there's nothing new, like people have been shooting handguns for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and aiming. Aiming weapons or aiming things, you know, at other things, whether they be moving targets or, or static targets and learning how to use their vision and things like that. Like none of this stuff is new and it all comes full circle. So, um, you know, but it's, it's always good to like, as a trainer, like when you hear another trainer or another instructor, like who's kind of latched onto something or has maybe found a way to convey that particular information in a way that makes sense and you utilize it the exact same way to convey your information, like, dude, give credit where credit is due. Let people know where you got that from. Be willing to share that source, right? It was a source for you. Let it be a source for other people. And as as trainers, I mean, it's also the same thing. I mean, we, it's pretty, like, word travels pretty fast around the community. You know, when somebody is maybe just like taking somebody else's material and just like completely like rote copying it and, you know, calling it their own, like those dudes don't typically last very long. Um, you know, and at the same time, dude, there's, I mean, how many people in this country, you know, and so, and, and with just new firearms, uh, owners in this country, I mean, there's enough, I hate to say it, there's enough students and enough business to go around that you shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to be trampling on the backs of others to try to make yourself look better when like just, just be yourself. Stop trying to portray yourself as something different, you know, or, or trying to make yourself so different that you're making yourself so unique. You know, like I saw a, a like a Facebook meme the other day. It was like unique, you know, just because you're unique doesn't mean you're useful. And it was like a bunch of forks. And then there was one fork that was like 
all the all the the tangs on the fork are all like completely all bent up, you know, and it was and it made total sense, you know, like people go out of their way to try to make themselves unique or give unique information that a lot of times doesn't make any damn sense to anybody. But they want to try to be so different to make themselves stand out. You know, like the other trainers in the community are kind of looking at it like, yep, you stand out. All right. You know, I mean, it's like, unfortunately, that's not going to last that long, you know, and then you're going to be you're going to be kind of outed. So, you know, I mean, it's like I said, it's great. I mean, there's other trainers that I work, you know, like hand in hand with too. Uh, Donovan Moore with Point One Tactics um, out of Chicago. Donovan is a fantastic trainer. Um, you know, I've got Bill Blowers and Chuck Pressburg and, and those guys up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, these are all guys that I consider, you know, not only mentors, but peers as well. Um, and and it's, it's fantastic to have relationships with people that, uh, you know, that you can share a like-minded, a like-mindedness with and an interest with yet at the same time, like we're all, we're kind of all, we're in the general, generally we're all in the industry kind of vying for, you know, vying for students to, to teach. And it's great to see that the industry isn't cutthroat like it used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it it seems like everybody now wants to work together to better, you know, to like to better instructorship and, and, and education. So well, and, it, and it, you have to at this point, because if you have to cross market and, you know, somebody knows somebody else, like uh, you got to do your little, uh, you got to do your social networking to get, uh, to grow your business. You can't just take your core group of people and then spin around in the, in the pool and then not grow. I mean, you, your business can do fine, but you know, after a while it's going to be like, well, I've taken this class three times or, you know, I got to learn something new. It's like, you got to reach out. And I mean, the primary and secondary community is great for, uh, you know, branching out and marketing. And I mean, that's where I start. I started in the tactical side of things before I went into the, uh, the competition aspect, but I love competition. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's honestly, that's where I built and developed the relationships with every single one of those guys that I've named, you know, here in the last 15 minutes, right. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, every single one of those relationships were kind of we're, we're literally bred out of Matt Landfair and him bringing like-minded individuals here or subject matter experts within their field together, right, to share and, and build this this amazing engine, you know, so to speak, or this this machine of inf- of information and and sharing amongst the masses, you know, um, with with no ego, right? I mean, every once in a while you'll see a little bit of that ego kind of come back out, right? Because we're all we're all dudes and and not even, I don't even think it's really the alpha kind of, you know, characterization as much as it's, we all feel strongly on like our, like our position on things based on like, again, our, our expertise in each of those things. And, you know, sometimes we, we kind of strike a chord or maybe some people might veer off lane a little bit, but it's, it's great to find, it's great to find everybody that can work together you know, and be able to stay within their lane. And if it's not something that they know about, you know, to be able to share that, like, okay, let me get somebody else involved that can answer that question. And, and that's where, like I said, that's where all these amazing and valuable relationships have really spawned from is, is from primary and secondary. And, um, was it light fighter? I think was where like a lot of those relationships were spawned even before like kind of the advent of primary and secondary on Facebook. So it's, it's good to see how everything is, you know, has, has kind of everything has come full circle, but how everything has evolved. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where it has to come. Yeah, I mean, nothing's really new anymore. You know, like you said, nothing in shooting yeah. is new, and 
it just all it has to rotate and evolve. And if we don't evolve, we just sit there as little rocks on the pathway of life. <laughs> so I noticed you had um, AJ Zito on your podcast uh, last episode or episode before last or so. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ is one of my bestest friends in the whole wide world. And AJ is also hosting me uh, for a two-day class in Prescott, Arizona. And I've also got the wonderful uh, opportunity to co-instruct with AJ on a one-day, like, how-to-practice class that, uh, that we're working on together to, to teach on the Friday before my two-day class. So um, AJ is an amazing instructor as well, and I'm super looking forward to, uh, to spending a whole, like, three or four days with, with, the boy, with my boy and uh and hanging out having a good time and and sharing some good information with everybody too Mm -hmm. speaking of aj actually aj called me the other day because he had some little technical difficulties with some uh social media stuff so it was kind of cool to chit chat with aj again and i would love it maybe next year if we can get it in the cards and get aj to come with you next year and maybe do that uh how to practice class or something because i that would epic because i'd love to get aj up here and it, it'd be a good time for everyone to experience AJ because he's sometimes he's stuck with uh, locally for him in crazy Arizona weirdness of no time change. And but then he does get around. He does get out. I see he's been AIing for Scott a lot lately, which is definitely an awesome thing for him. He does. He does. And where AJ resides, I mean, is really is is beautiful. Like Prescott, Arizona, if I had not just purchased this this awesome piece of land and Mexico. Um, I, I tell my girlfriend all the time, I'm like, if we didn't own this and we could relocate one more time someplace else, there's only two places I think in the country that I would like to move to. And one would either be um, around the Boise, Idaho area, because I think that's beautiful up there. Um, but the other would be Prescott, Arizona, like hands down. Like that, that little town is awesome. It's far enough away from Phoenix, which is awful. That Prescott is just like it's super charming. It's great. They still get kind of four seasons and things like that. But it's it's you know it's it's mountainous. It's God. It's just it's it's awesome. It's just a gorgeous little place to be. So and AJ right in the heart of that too. So super Mm -hmm. cool place. It is. And I don't know if uh, Boise Idaho could handle you Steiner and uh, Platt all in the same area. (laughs) I mean, you might actually have to get together and actually record a show. But right, I, I don't know if uh, right. Boise could hold, handle all that. <laughs> well, I get to be up there next weekend uh, to teach my annual class there in Boise, so um, it's going to be fun to have all three of us. Kenny, uh, Kenny Platt's actually going to be AIing for me at that class um, and kind of getting his feet wet as a as an assistant instructor with me. Um, but yeah, Steiner and I and Kenny, we're all going to hang out. Hopefully, we'll be able to record like a live. Uh, broadcast while we're up there, you know, while I'm up there too. And it's always fun to hang out with my buddies uh, up in Idaho. So we cannot confirm or deny if you'll be a little bit drunk for the live recording of the perfect double. Maybe. <laughs> Probably as as not, on... considering I'm teaching both days, but yeah. possibly. Right. It's okay. You'll be on Steiner's couch or, or Kenny's couch. So it'll be all good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody's dog will get cuddled with. I mean, there's that picture floating around. <laughs> But I know there's you've talked about a lot of guys influencing you, you know, Scott, Steve. Um, 
I know another big guy you haven't mentioned it is Mike Seeklander. And can you talk a little bit about Mike and how he kind of evolved um, some of what you teach today? Because I think he has phenomenal curriculum. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I took my my very first class with Mike back in, I can't remember if it was 2012 or 2013. It might have been, it, I think it was 20, 2012, towards the end of 2012. And I took my, I took a three-day competition like 101 and competition like one, 102 class or whatever, like a basic and an advanced class with Mike. Um, and that's really what changed my world as far as, um, as far as my development as a shooter. And it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm doing everything wrong. It was like, honestly, for me, the biggest breakthrough was, oh my God, I've been practicing wrong for so long. So when I finally learned like with Mike, how to stay purposeful in my practice and how to, how to practice and stay focused in my practice, I went from like being that guy that shot five, six, 700 rounds every, uh, you know, every weekend or whatever at like on a Saturday, you know, at my local range doing practice to now I'm going to bring 150 to 200 rounds or maybe you know, 250 tops. And this is how I'm going to practice and how I'm going to regiment my practice session. Um, I went from like that perpetual B class. I was stuck in B class for, you know, two or three years. Um, and then immediately like almost completely skipped past a and right into masterclass, um, from a B, B level shooter to a master level shooter. Um, and then three, four months after I made M, I jumped right into being a, a grandmaster at the beginning of 2000, I think it was 2013 or, or middle of 2013. So like I said, I, I, I wasn't, uh, I mean, it was, it was amazing to see the progress I made and it was just simply like how to practice. Uh, Mike's curriculum is absolutely hands down phenomenal. His, the way he talks, the way he conveys information, the way he kind of, like I said, he, he works with each student. Um, like for me that the biggest kind of mentorship there as a instructor was that's how I want to teach. Right. I mean, that's, that's how I want to be able to convey, you know, a, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of my curriculum, part of my curriculum was built directly on kind of how I saw how, how Mike Seeklander has kind of developed his curriculum, you know, like stair steps and how things work together into other things. Um, of course, then I built my curriculum kind of on that, kind of on that pathway, right? Like, okay, if I want to start with this and then I want to make that like building block into this and then take these two things and build that into, you know, a third thing and then take those three things and continue on. Um, so I, I do it a little bit differently than Mike does. Um, but you know, there are a few of the teaching concepts and things that, I mean, and I, like I said, I give credit where credit is due, you know, I, I, and I, especially like strong hand and support hand shooting and, and how I approach that. Um, a lot of that is kind of derivative of what I've learned from Mike and then how I've been able to, to make it work for me and, um, you know, and kind of put my application and my kind of my manner of conveyance on it. Um, but yeah, uh, also, you know, Mike's, uh, like, instructor development course and instructor development training is probably second to none. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Um, and, and that was again, just super fruitful for me and very helpful. Um, and Mike has always been one of those guys I could text him or Facebook message him or email him or whatever. He's always had time to answer my questions and help me with things and give me input too. So, um, as far as like from a, just an instructorship mentor, 
yeah, I mean, Seaclander's probably one of, been one of my my strongest and biggest influences for probably the longest amount of time since I started uh, since I started shooting. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I would have never have thought about strong hand and uh, support hand shooting by you know what we've done in your class, you know, and blading and you know putting your weight where you need to. I always thought it was just get your stupid other hand out of the way, but you know, there's so much you know mechanics and body position to actually help with strong hand and weak hand shooting. Mm-hmm. But now, Tim, now that you Mike has been a mentor to you, when did you start seeing him as uh, an equal? Because I know you you both compete in single stack at a very high level. And, you know, Mike's always been in the top of the heat of single stack, and mm-hmm. you've been creeping up. When did you finally see him as, like, a rival instead of untouchable? So, I mean, it, obviously, you know, I mean, when I first became, you know, when I first took one of Mike's classes, I mean, obviously, you know, I remember Mike from being on, like, on Top Shot, uh, you know, season one. I remember... You know, I remember seeing him at like a single stack nationals and always thinking like, my God, I'll never be able to attain that. You know, um, I wouldn't even say I, I hate to say, you know, or try to correct you on that. And I've never been one to kind of toot my own horn, but it's been beyond just like creeping up on him. I think for me, it was like the very first year I went to nationals and I was like right below Mike at the national level. I think he was I think at that year he was like 11th or 12th and I was like 13th. Right. It was like one of the first years I made top 16 and I was like, oh, my God. I'm, you know, like my mentor is now like my, you know, one of my rivals or competitors. Um, like the very next year, I think I, I beat him by two or three places. Um, at that same time, I think, you know, he, he's from Oklahoma as in area four. I went to area four and fortunately was able to beat him at area four, uh, for the single stack title that year at area four. So it became one of those things. Like, I think honestly, once I finally was able to attain that same level as him and then like actually kind of be able to like to beat him at a major match. It was kind of one of those like, ah, okay. You know, like it's it's kind of the same thing against like Rob Latham. Right. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I'll never be able to touch Robbie, you know, and then like to be able, like I competed against Robbie at, uh, at area two championships in Prescott this past November and, uh, was able, you know, for the first time was, was able to, uh, to finish ahead of Rob and, and take the area two championship home. And, uh, like for me, that was, that was huge for my own personal growth instead of, instead of feeling limited, you know, like, ah, man, I don't know if I'm ready for that level yet. Um, to, you know, to now get to shoot on super squads with those guys, you know, at, at the national level for the last like three or four years or five years or whatever it's been, that's been, that's been really, you know, really neat to see that like, oh yeah, you know, these, these guys just aren't guys I aspire to be. These are guys now that, you know, that we're, I get to be part of the the push for each other, right? You know, it's like I'm no longer the guy chasing. Sometimes I'm the dude pushing, you know, and those guys are pushing me, which is which is great. So, yeah, I mean, it just I, I I can't really say exactly when it happened. It just like it just it slowly kind of, you know, it just slowly kind of evolved and changed to where it was like, okay, cool. I I guess I guess I'm here now, you know. And uh, honestly, mm-hmm. now I I don't even I don't think about it as like trainer and student or teacher and student or anything like that. I mean, obviously I will always like forever be a student or a, or kind of a, you know, Mike will always be forever a kind of a mentor to me, just like Rob Latham is also a mentor to me. Um, Todd Jarrett is also a mentor to me. You know, I mean, these guys are guys that I have, I seek knowledge from all the time and then to get to be kind of peers with these guys and like go to nationals and get to compete on the, like on the same level with those guys. It's, it's really cool. And, 
the cool thing is, is they've been accepting, you know, it's never been like one of those, like, yeah, one of these days, kid, you know, it's, it's been like, you're here now. Like, let's, let's all do this together, which is super, it's just been super cool, super inspiring. Um, you always kind of hear that, like never, never meet your heroes because they might disappoint you. And like, that's not been the case for me, you know, yeah. like being able to meet all of my heroes and now they're friends and colleagues and, and peers has been, it's been super cool. I mean, it'd be, I would, I want to be one of those days. I'd love to be able to meet some of my mentors on the field of competition and be able to rival them. I mean, I mean, it'll just be one of those days when all the skills come together and the, all the hard work pays off and you're able to compete at that level. But exactly. You have, you have less than a month, sir, until nationals. Are you ready? Are you ready? I am physically, physically, like physical preparation. Um, I'd say give me the next couple, two or three weeks as far as just like my personal practice. I'm hitting it hard. Um, I, I'm going out like outside in my backyard, basically kind of my, my, my range. And I'm shooting anywhere between, you know, between 150 to 300 rounds a day um, every other day. So I'm generally putting in a range session, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Thursday, and then Monday of the following week. I'm also teaching every single week. And when I'm getting to a location where I'm setting up the range, like the Friday before a class, I'm also spending an hour or two hours, um, you know, in maybe a hundred or, you know, 200 rounds just in my own private, you know, personal practice, you know, at different ranges and just kind of understanding different conditions and setting, you know, a plethora of different things up and, and focusing, I think physically I will be ready. Um, I I've got no doubts about it at all. Mentally. I've been prepared since I'd say since area one, um, which was, when was that? That was end of September, early October. Uh, when I, when I won the, uh, the single stack championship there at area one in Idaho and then followed it up with a, uh, like I said, with a victory, and a single stack uh, title at area two against again, like, you know, like I said, one of my rivals and competitors, uh, Rob Latham. And so like for me, like emotionally, like I'm on that, like mentally I'm ready to go. Like I, I feel a hundred percent confident in my ability to be able to bring my all to it. Um, physically, I don't feel anything. I would just like to get a little bit more, not even consistency, just a, just a little bit more, I don't know, just a little bit more time behind the gun, right? Just, mm-hmm. just to feel a little more intimate with the pistol, just to make sure like, like I'm not leaving anything to chance or like I'm feeling like I'm leaving any kind of weak spots in my game. And honestly, my practice is here the last, like, God, I've not almost every single day this week and last week I have, I have picked up the gun both in dry fire and live fire every day that I've been home. And that's, that's awesome. Like I've, I'm really feeling confident behind the pistol. So give it, give that another couple of weeks. Then I'll probably take a week off before nationals. Like just like maybe, you know, clean the gun, replace the springs. Everything will be ready to go on both pistols. Um, and then maybe shoot a hundred, 150 rounds just to, just to make sure everything feels good. Everything's cycling good. Everything's right. Other than that, you know, I'll park him. I'll do some dry fire, but I'm like workout sessions and, and marathon, you know, range sessions and stuff are done. It's time to just, you know, travel to Birmingham and shoot the best I possibly can at, uh, you know, at CMP range at nationals. And I'm, 
I'm I'm really feeling good, really feeling prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think you're lucky because single stack nationals last year was there at CMP. So you have a little bit of familiarity that most people like for production won't have that um, familiarity with the range since it's the first time I think, or the second time they've hosted nationals there. So I, I agree. Um, the other thing too, I mean, last year, to be honest, I think everybody was kind of, was kind of like everything was up in the air because of COVID, right? So nationals was supposed to be like in May and then everything got canceled. Everything got pushed around. So, you know, and there was a lot of like people not knowing whether or not they needed to go to matches and then ammo became really scarce. So it was really hard to get people to, you know, to shoot matches and things were getting switched and flip-flopped around a lot. So they have nationals got to, you know, get put back in like over, I want to say it was like over Labor Day weekend last year. Um, so it, it kind of, t- I don't want to say it took everybody by surprise, but I think everybody was kind of out of their normal training routine and regimen, um, which I don't think anybody really shot. I mean, obviously those that shoot shot at the, t- at the top of their game. I felt like I shot pretty well. Um, could I have shot better? Definitely. And I think a lot of it was because I lacked the preparation because I just, everything was so, are we going to do it? Or are we not? You know? And then like classes were filling for me and it was kind of one of those like, oh, I need to teach a class instead of going and shooting a match. And I need to go teach a class instead of going to practice and preparing on my own. So I, I unfortunately kind of let like running my business for the second full year and let it take precedence over anything else um, really affect my own personal like strategy on training. At the same time, I was also, you know, totally remodeling this house and I hadn't even moved in yet. So any free absolute second that I had um, was devoted to coming out to this house and playing, you know, tile master and plumbing master and, you know, so many other things too, that just like, honestly, my own personal development as a shooter really took a backseat to, to anything else I, I was doing. So this year I moved into the house, I'm settled in, I've got like, I'm able to kind of parlay all of my, you know, everything all together and make everything work. And finding time now that I'm here to finding time to actually devote to practice. So, which is, which is good. Like I said, I'm, I'm feeling really confident behind the gun. And yeah, cause I think, I mean, you're trying to run the business and God, you, are you going to teach tiling classes and drywall classes? I know somebody's going to ask, I mean, <laughs> I need to learn herringbone. I got to redo my bathroom. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I can teach you. I, I could show you. Um, no, I mean, you know, like after all of the tiling and everything else I've done in this house, you know, like I, like I, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm ready to park the tools for like the next six months at least and not do anything just so I can take a break to kind of regain the hunger. Cause like over the last year and a half of remodel on this place, like I have, I've burned the hell out, you know, I've, I, I needed a break. I'm ready to do other things besides, you know, like try to finish little honeydews on the list now, but yeah, it's, it's still cool. I mean, it's it's great to wake up every day, literally open my eyes out of bed and just look around, even at this one bedroom, and be like, <laughs> we did this. You know, like, this room didn't even exist. We did all this. You know, and then you walk into the bathroom to go take a shower in the morning, and you're like, <laughs> I did all that. Like, none of this even existed until we did this. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a really cool feeling, you know. Do you regret uh, smooth walling your drywall? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. Like if we would have done regular, like rough in texture, 
um, or done knockdown on everything. Like we would have been done with the drywall, like in easily three weeks and instead like doing smooth wall on everything and ensuring everything was smooth. I mean, it took us months and that's simply because it's just her and I. And so, and like a lot of trial and error, you know, it was just one of those, like we'd sand it and then everything would look and feel good. And then we'd throw a coat of paint on it. And we were like, Oh, Jesus Christ, you can see a seam there and you can see that. So it was like, Oh my God, mud over everything again and start all over again. And then, you know, like knowing what to look for and you know, what to feel for. And I mean, it, it, it all paid off, but at the same time, like, Oh my God, did we do, do it over again? I probably would have still done smooth walls because I wanted smooth walls, but next time, if there ever is a next time, I'm hiring that shit to be done. I, it's just that'll be the one thing that it's so much easier, like emotionally, to just just let somebody else handle that part of it. I don't mind painting. I don't mind doing trim. I don't mind doing any other part of it. The drywall, like I don't mind hanging it, but sanding it and finishing it, nah, I, I'll gladly pay somebody else to do that part of it. Duly noted. I I don't plan on doing drywall if I do a remodel. No drywall. <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be like Jay Beal and build like a log cabin because that his house is going to look pretty sweet when he's done with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Jay and I like, it is really cool. You know, I mean, we share, we kind of share little tips and tricks and tidbits and things, you know, here and there. Um, it's, it's really great. You know, Jay will share stuff with me or I'll see things that he'll post and I'm like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And he, of course he's doing a lot of like hand build, you know, like he's hand built all of the doors for his place. I mean, it's, the, the, the guy is super impressive you know at the same time he's running a, a, a goat farm you know full time mm -hmm. so and then trying to find time to build the house you know on, on a spare time too so it's been pretty pretty neat to see he's super super inspiring guy oh yeah for especially how he's he's not that old i mean i don't think people realize how young jay is yep. and he's raising his little two-year-old son raising a million goats he's gonna be <laughs> gonna take over the the state of maine with a goat herd yep Goats and I believe blueberries. He's uh, also yes. does uh, blueberry farming. Yep. Mm -hmm. The blueberries, hand hand raked blueberries. Yep. We don't have those in Michigan. We have bushes and we shake them and the blueberries fall off. <laughs> but um, so we've also got up in the air. Hopefully, we'll know by June. World shoot. Hopefully, they're talking the end of June. Which uh, I tell you right now, like even if they approve world shoot uh, for the end of June. That's going to make it really tough for uh, a lot of shooters that are kind of on a like a hard press schedule. You know, shooters that are that are trainers. You know, I've done everything I possibly can to not schedule classes like throughout the month of November and the beginning part of uh, December, just so I can stay focused on like if if world shoots going to happen, I basically going to have about a month to schedule flights schedule like either kind of shipping of ammo or anything that needs to happen there get hotels get a rental car and try to get all of my you know like all of my um like firearms permits and all that kind of stuff like sorted out it's going to make it really really tough for a lot of world competitors to be able to travel with a like june 30th deadline for approval or cancellation yet again of world shoot and i'm, I'm really curious and uh, of like how many people are going to be able to show up? I'm ready, but at the same time, it's like, 
dang, you know, like I get requests all the time, like as a business owner, I get requests all the time, like, oh man, I'd love to schedule a class in November. And it's like, I've had to tell like five or six different people, uh, you know, potential classes, no, um, for the month of November and December, simply because I'm still trying to leave that open in case world shoot does happen. And it's just, and it's, it's so tough. Like I was so looking forward to being able to shoot world shoot last year and, you know, kind of get it done out of the way. And now you're talking about, you know, yet another year. And if they cancel it again, are they going to cancel it, postpone it for the next year? Or are they just going to roll it into uh, world shoot 2023, which is actually when the next world shoot's supposed to happen. And if so, like, you know, am I just, I hate to say it, but am I shit out of luck, you know, for the qualifications that I made, you know, for my individual slot or do I still get to be a part of it or what's going to happen? So it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, regardless that June's going to really put the pressure on people to try to line up travel. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be quite a few people going to have to cancel out or bow out just simply because it's so late uh, in the year to, to determine what, you know, how you're even going to get there. Yeah, and you don't honestly, you don't even know if like you're gonna have to quarantine for a week, two weeks prior, and then two weeks after you get back. And I mean, that's all the biggest those... thing right now um, is with Thailand's is like flight, like international travel. So traveling in from a from another country, right now their big push is 14 days quarantine before they even allow you out of a hotel to then compete. Well, people, you know, I mean, nationals or I'm sorry, World Shoot itself is a week long, right? And most people mm-hmm. are already traveling three to four days ahead of time, just so they can kind of acclimate to the weather. They can get some practice in at the practice range or whatever, um, you know, kind of get rid of jet lag and shake off all that stuff to be ready to shoot like Monday through Friday of the week of national you know, world shoot. So it's like, you're already traveling a week before. So now you're going to have to travel like two weeks before then spend a week there. I mean, like there's a lot of people that are like, God, now you're talking, you know, a three week to a month long trip to Thailand, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm self-employed and this is what I do for a living. And I still don't know if I could, if I could make that work, you know, especially with, you know, I've got a teenager at home that was hoping to make, you know, be able to travel with me. I can't pull her out of school for a whole entire month, you know, basically just to, to, to make world shoot work. I mean, she's got, she's got school. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost impossible. And that's a lot of dough. Even that's a lot of, even, you know, I know your girlfriend, she works whatever job she does, but it's like, it's like. That's a that's a lot of like a month being in another country. That's a lot of dough just being to, to do. A and it's a month of right. I mean, a month of hotel or three weeks at least of hotel, you know, fees. I mean, flights round trip basically for one person are seven to eight hundred dollars. Right. And if you're flying two people, that's sixteen hundred dollars or so minimum just to fly, let alone then, you know, rental car, um, you know, or or, you know, whatever sort of transportation costs. Hotel cost for three weeks at a hotel. I mean, even if it is Thailand and it's cheap, if you're still talking forty, fifty dollars, you know, U.S. dollars per night, that's a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. let alone the time off from work, vacation time that a lot of people that are working full time would have, are you know, are also going to have to expend. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to make it really really tough. So, you know, I I hope I get to go. There also is an oppor- you know, a, a chance that I may have to bow out if. Uh, you know, if they can't seem to figure out something that that is, you know, makes it a little a little easier, a little more conducive for me to be able to, you know, and me and many, many others, hundreds of others uh, to be able to, you know, to spend our time to come out and, and compete. Yeah. And I mean, I hope you can compete, but I'm also of the understanding of I'd much just cancel it. And let's move it to 2023 and get back to a normal cycle and let's get back to a normal uh, 
normal world. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I, I had to, I hate to say it, but I do agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Eric Grafell will come and stomp us any day anyway. <laughs> I mean, he's been posting shooting videos. Oh my Lord, that man is a, is a beast. Always I mean, I, kn- always, I knew he's a beast, but I didn't know it. Be a beast. The fact that like, you know, he's, he's now he's like out seven days a week. He's put, you know, he's got himself back in like amazing shape and, you know, he's, he's shooting again. He, he's back to old Eric Grafell. He's, you know, four or 500 rounds a day, every single day. And, you know, God, yeah, he's he's in rare form uh, again, and it's it's awesome to see, mm-hmm. super inspiring. So, or I, for I, everybody, I don't think you can grow to his height though, Tim. I don't think it's in the cards. <laughs> he's not that much taller than me. I mean, okay, so I feel better then. So Eric Grafell's not that much taller than me then, because I'm taller than you, so it's all good. <laughs> I st- but um. Lately, well, about a month ago, I know you talked about this. It was a post by a big guy on social media who owns a holster company, how he was placing trigger press over grip. Oh, yeah. And since that's come up, I've asked most of my guests what they think is the priority grip, trigger, sight, uh, sight alignment. So I'm sorry, you, you cut out there for just a second. So grip, grip or trigger press or side alignment. Right. Well, how I see it is it's kind of like a tri, it's kind of like a pyramid pillar system. You know, they all kind of are like a 33% importance I find, but I'm Uh not an instructor. So I want to hear your take on what is a priority or what seems to be a little more important than the others. So my take on this is. Grip is priority number one. We have to be able to hold the gun to control the gun. And it's not to hold the gun to control the gun for recoil management. I'm holding the gun to control the gun to give me every last bit of leverage I possibly can apply to the pistol in an effort to hold the sight still while applying whatever pressure needed to make the gun fire on the trigger. So um, grip is priority number one. Site management, I think, is also shared as a priority number one. So it's about a 50-50. I need to grip the gun in an effort to hold the sight still. And then my job to hold the sight still or hold the sights to an acceptable level is absolutely crucial. Sec- uh, primarily, and then secondary is trigger control. Or And, and I don't really even look at like it as trigger control as like a, like a, like a predominant fundamental it, it really isn't right if you're doing your job to grip the gun and hold the sight still and your priority right your primary job or your primary focus is to hold the sights as still as possible or, or as still as acceptable for the shot your trigger control and I'm, I'm using the air quotes there um honestly works itself out it becomes a my ability to just manage the sights if i individualize trigger control this is where we get into problems with almost disregarding the sights because we're trying to like check the box, right? It's like, okay, grip is good. Check. Okay. Sight alignment is good. Okay. Check. Now I need to focus on pressing the trigger correctly. And I almost disregard the sights simply to try to catch the sights at the, at the right spot because I'm so focused on making the gun fire now 
with that proper amount of like with whatever I think is proper trigger control. And then our hands move or the gun or the sights move. Um, like trigger control itself honestly works itself out. If your primary goal, your primary objective is just to hold the sights in alignment to the, to wherever it is you're looking at on the target and then just manage that, just manage that all the way through whatever pressure you put on the trigger. So it's seven yards. You know, are you applying a steady pressure to the trigger? You're probably accelerating that pressure really, really quickly to make that shot at say three yards to seven yards. Are you, you know, if you're managing the sights correctly at 25 yards, are you, are you going to just whiff through the trigger really, really fast? But I also don't need to individualize that concept of, of trigger control. I just need to simply apply whatever pressure is needed and keep the sights from moving. So my trigger control becomes secondary to my ability to just manage the sights. And I manage the sights through proper grip position and proper grip force with both hands on the gun to hold the gun still. I don't think I could have said that any better than you, but I don't, I don't get paid <laughs> to say that, but no, I agree. And I like, I like to talk when I talk about grip to people, I like to use referred about how you grip the pistol and it's, it makes it so much, it's so simple. It's kind of like the keep it simple, stupid kind of principle about gripping the gun. Right. And I, and like, I get this from, I think this is something from Fisher. It's like, I can, as long as I hold the gun still as possible with enough force, I can slap the trigger. Like it owes me money within context. And, and a lot of people, I don't think they understand what that means, but you know, it takes a lot. You can interpret it how you wish for most people, but, and I, like I said, grip, I think is king because if you don't have a good grip, doesn't matter how well your trigger control is or your sight alignment is. If you don't have a grip, because the gun's going to flop, the sights are going to move, and it's going to be an off target. That That is true. So the one thing I always ask anybody that wants to argue with me, and not that I'm saying I'm 100% right, because people have different approaches to how they think about trigger control, right? But anybody that always tells me like, oh, man, you want to exercise perfect trigger control, you know, trigger control should be at the absolute, like that's the staple of what makes a good shooter. And then it's like I watch that same person like say shoot a stage, Right. Or like to actually just shoot, even just to shoot even a six round course of fire, like in USPSA or IDPA. The very first question I want to ask is, hey, what was your trigger control on shot number four on that 15 yard target out there on that that particular stage? Or, hey, do you remember what your level of trigger control was for all six of those shots or all 12 of those shots or all 20 of those shots? Generally. And without question, I've never, ever, 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 and I've challenged this to anybody, regardless of your skill level, I've challenged anybody, I want you to tell me what the level of trigger control was on whatever shot I I determined to pick out. And Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody has ever been able to answer that. So if trigger control were so goddamn important, then how is it? that you don't put any forethought into how you actuate the trigger when you fire a shot. The question that I can always get an answer from, especially from top level shooters are, Hey, what, how was your ability to manage the sights on that target for shot number two? Did you, were you able to call the shots, let's say on either shot number two, or when you transitioned the very first shot on that target, what was your, what was your sight picture or what was your level of grip that you applied to the gun without with, with without missing a beat, everybody could tell me, well, I was gripping the living crap out of the gun and 
the sites told me that the shot broke here and I was able to call that shot. Mm -hmm. And I go, hmm, amazing. So your ability to grip the gun and your ability to manage the sites so that you're gaining information from the sites at the moment the gun fires were the two most important parts of your of your focus of shooting, right? They became the two fundamentals and that was it. If I asked you to tell me what level of trigger control did you have on that you exercised on whatever target of whatever array, nobody's ever been able to, to, to give me any of that advice or any of that input or able to give me that observation back. So and if it was so important, why can't they give me that information? Why can't they tell me exactly what the trigger felt like or how it was? And then I ask them, okay, great. So you've got a, let's say an open gun mm -hmm. and it's a pound and a half trigger. Tell me on that seven yard target or even on that 25 yard target, did you just apply one and a half pounds of pressure to make that gun fire without moving the dot? Or did you apply 15 pounds of pressure and see a little bit of movement in the dot because you were trying to press the trigger fast? Most more times than not, everybody is applying at least three to four times the amount of pressure needed to to the trigger, even though they're running a light trigger. Well, if then having a super light trigger and having all this amazing trigger control is so damned important, then why can't you give me the feedback on what it felt like, what you were looking for, what you know, like what you were focused on? You can't. So again, how important is trigger control? Trigger control is secondary to your ability to just manage the sights or manage the dot to whatever level is needed for the shot that you're trying to make, period. Mm -hmm. And I'd honestly even say that that shot calling is a more important fundamental than trigger control. And, and shot calling comes with, with sight management, right? Mm -hmm. My ability to manage the sights up to where I'm getting ready to press the trigger throughout the press of the trigger and throughout the lift of the sights in recoil not lift and return of the sights. Too many people get hung up around the axle about tracking the sights or tracking the dot. Guess what? As soon as the shot breaks and the dot or the sights have begun to lift and recoil, I don't give two craps where the sights lift to or, or where they go or how they cycle or if they lift straight up and down or if they lift off into the left or off into the right. As long as when I'm ready to press the trigger again, the sites have returned to an acceptable place, right? So my like that whole like you want to grip the gun to be able to track the sites better. I don't give a shit about tracking the sites. What am I going to do when the sites are like mid cycle throughout the? I'm not firing the gun there. So what do I care about the information that the sites or the dots are giving me when I'm not firing the shot? So I don't like tracking your sites. I think is ridiculous. Letting the sights return, right? Like the, having the grip on the gun is to allow the sights to return back to a point at which I can perceive the sights again, the second shot or the third shot or the fourth shot. But the primary goal or the primary drive of proper grip and grip pressures on the gun is simply to add as much leverage as possible so that if I start to get greedy on the trigger or start to press the trigger with whatever means necessary, I can watch what the sites are doing to be a better shot caller. Mm -hmm. oh, and everyone needs to remember that you shoot that man power 40 cal 45 instead of the weak <laughs> nine millimeter guns. It doesn't matter, right? The concepts are the same.
mm-hmm. when the gun goes bang, the, the recoil impulse doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. It's either a heavier felt rec- recoil impulse or a lighter felt recoil impulse. But as far as the recoil impulse, I don't care. The impulse isn't changing where like, it might change how the sights track. But again, are we really worried about how the sights track? No, I'm worried about how the sights return back to zero so that mm-hmm. I can press the trigger quickly, right? Or abruptly or fast or slow or whatever needs to for the next shot, depending on how careful or how diligent or how aggressive I need to be with that next shot. That's it. Ab- absolutely. I mean, just how it is. You got to do the stops. <laughs> got to do the process and uh, do, you know, manage everything in accordance to what the, the shot dictates. I mean, depending on if that right. three yard target or that 25 to 50 yard target, I know le- lately you've been posting 50 yard work, you know, working at extreme yep. distances. I mean, you got to challenge yourself somehow. Yep. Yep. So I'm not even, like I said, at 50 yards, I'm not working. You know, it's not like I'm like, well, at 50 yards, I really need to be focused on trigger control. Honestly, the things that I'm working at at 50 yards are how, how loose or how soft can my sight pictures be to allow me to start working the gun sooner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with less or, or with as little visual input or as little visual acuity as, as absolutely needed, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm learning how to work in minimums at longer distances so that I can increase the efficiency at which I shoot 30-yard, 40-yard, 50-yard targets. Mm-hmm. And I mean, your honestly, your explanation of sight deviation in class is just so remarkable. It, it you know, as soon as people can figure out the minimum, like you said, the minimums you need to make that shot, it really mm-hmm. makes a difference on how you can uh, gain efficiencies and save a lot of time instead of waiting for that perfect sight picture. It's kind of just like, can I be leaving this position? I don't need a perfect setup here or whatnot. Can I be make an effort, conscious effort to leaving, still making that shot, knowing mm-hmm. what I need to see? To then not stand there and then look over the gun to see my work. Exactly right. And I love how you put it. I'm when I mean this is almost a year ago, but don't check your work. I mean that's like that's not shot calling. Don't look over the gun to check your work and be like, oh, I'm okay with that. Or as you're running by, oh, that looks nice. (laughs) Right, right. I want to validate the work while the work is happening through the gun. Let the gun become the feedback tool. Right. So it, the gun is not just a really expensive office supply. It's not a really expensive hole puncher. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not punching holes and then looking past the gun and looking at the target and be like, yep, those look good. I want to know, right? I mean, that's why the gun has a dot or why it has sights on it is like they become my speed control. They become, you know, my steering wheel. They become my accelerator. So, utilize, you know, they become my windshield to everything. You know, like it, basically it's, it's, it's akin to a car. Right. Like if I'm pressing the trigger and the sights lift and return, you know, or lift and the sights lifted immediately right where I wanted them sights to, then I know I don't need to look at the target to to validate my work. The work was validated with. Yep. I watched the sights lift just where they needed to right off the target in that one spot. I'm good with that. You know, time to move on so I can always do work from behind the gun and allow the gun to give me all of the visual feedback needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And. I don't think anyone would uh, could not take your class and learn something. Honestly, I think I know uh, you've had Leighton in class and a bunch of GMs in class. I have. I'm, yep. I mean, and I think everyone can take something away from what you're putting out into the market 
I mean, even even the guys who are super tactical minded, I think even if I remember right, Raul was in the same class with AJ and Layton and uh, John and Neil um, back in. Yep. Uh, so, yep. I mean, everyone can learn. Raul Martinez of Fieldcraft, yeah, was in that same class. Yeah. And I honestly think your class is it's it's kind of towards the competition spectrum, but everyone can get better from taking it. Even applying all the skills from, you know, we learn, you know, you work on on the stage and apply it into other aspects and avenues of your shooting. Absolutely. Shooting on the move, calling shots, um, having the gun up ready to shoot sooner rather than faster. Um, You know, all of those concepts that we work on on day two um, that might seem very competition oriented are extremely um, they're relevant to everything. They're relevant to defensive shooting. They're relevant to tactical shooting. They're relevant to, you know, my my SWAT guys. They're relevant to my defensive-minded shooters. You know, like, instead of breaking around cover and identifying a target and then raising the gun up, why not do all of that together, right? You know, um, and again, it's, it's not a tactic class. It's never going to be a tactics class. Um, it's about being efficient and shooting at a higher level of performance. Um, but like day one, day one of my two day class is all about foundationally becoming a better, more well-rounded shooter, right. And being able to self-diagnose and be able to apply, um, you know, different concepts to your shooting just on a static range, right. You're just, I mean, basically everybody on day one is, is shooting either from one target to three targets and they're learning all those crucial, you know, aspects like, or crucial concepts like shot calling, um, sight deviation, they're learning like soft target focus, right? Or how to focus through the sights. Um, they're learning how to anchor the rear sight. You know, they're, they're learning how to not utilize that institutionalized hard front sight focus, which is to me, like, I don't want to say it's ridiculous, but it's so, it's been so used for so long that it's, it's unimportant. I don't want to say it's unimportant. It's important to understand your front sight, but it's not as important as as people make it out to be that like, oh, the only way to be really accurate is to look at a, like a hard front side focus. Um, I've got a lot of different visual concepts that work for a lot of people that have might struggled for years with iron sights because they're simply trying to shift their focus to the wrong damn thing, you know, mm-hmm. and learning how to utilize your sights in a much more effective manner, how to use your red dot in a more effective manner. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and so like, like I said, training day one of my two day class is all about like how to, how to apply like completely different concepts and not really completely different, but maybe completely different in how we think about them um, and being able to apply a, a better thought process to your shooting um, without always those, those hard, fast rules that have been dictated for, you know, a hundred years now that in some respects are wrong. I'll just, I'll just straight up say it. They're wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. or or they're, maybe they're not wrong. They're inefficient. So, and then being able to take those kind of things on day two, like from day one two, where we then get to talk about movement and how to apply movement to things and how to have the gun up sooner and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's a two day high performance class. It is with a, you know, obviously coming from somebody with a fundamental competition or, you know, or competitive background, but it's a it's applying it to to all aspects of your shooting, whether you're defensive minded, tactically minded, competition minded, you know, or just want to get better for the sake of getting better. You mm-hmm. will get better. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I learned so many things I didn't know that first time. And I'm I'm one of those gluttons for punishment who like to take the same class twice. And that's how I was when I took a sure. couple four four hour clinics with Yeti. I took it twice because yep. I didn't feel like I had learned enough the first time. I mean, I mean, no one doesn't. The instructor won't say no. I won't take your money, but it kind of. The first time I took your class, I was nervous because I'd never done anything like that before. I hadn't even shot mm -hmm. a match before I took your class. I. And then, oh, I mean, I blame COVID, but that's here nor there. <laughs> and then I went out after that class. I didn't go shoot a match for a couple more months because ammo was a pain in the ass. And so, I mean, it's it's for everybody. I mean, you can have the the, the face shooting um, SWAT cops or you can have the gynecologist next to you. I mean, depends on what you want. I mean. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. So I think the great thing with you taking the class again this year will be like certain things, like certain concepts or things that you've adopted and you've been able to apply your shooting won't be right. Because I, I definitely individualize the instruction to each student as well. This is why I also keep a low uh, student number in my classes is so that I can individualize the instruction to meet that particular student's needs. So the things that, yeah, the things that you might've worked on that last year, <laughs> the things that you might've worked on last year, may not be the same things that we really need to hone in on this year. Maybe you can apply two or three of those things or four or five of those things to this year's class. So then we can really learn how to ad adapt a few other concepts to your shooting to make you more well-rounded. So I think, I think what, you know, you, what you're going to find in this class is, you know, like everything that might felt like you're drinking from a fire hose this year might, you know, last year might be, okay, now we've just turned the faucet on, right. And we've learned how to kind of digest the information in a little bit more usable chunks because now you've had a year to understand certain things and apply certain things that we really focused on with you to now, now we can, we can shift our attention to other, other aspects that might've been overlooked, you know, from the mm -hmm. first time through. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, I look right next to me is my dry fire board. It tells me what I kind of want to work on. And your email sits like on the top pinned with a couple other notes, but it's like, I look through it every once in a while. I'm like, have I done better at this? Have I progressed on this? And I mean, honestly, when I first got into shooting, we all have that ego, right? That the, I'm a Billy badass. And I kind of threw that out the window from talking with you, talking with Steve Anderson. You know, I'm not worried about the results. I'm more worried about how I'm doing in the process of getting there and kind of checking how I say all the check it, say it all the time. Check my ego at the door and be like, I know there's people better than me, but I'm going to do my best today and have the performance I want by doing what I need to do and not worry about the crap I can't control. I can't control right. how XYZ shooting, I can't control that it's raining. I mean, I just can sit through the rain and get rained on all day, but shoot the match I need to. Yep. And I'm lucky. I kind of, I, I'd say I'm lucky. I took some, got some mental training early on in my shooting career instead of having to rework all of that later as I progress. And I, I feel like it's going to be advantageous for me progressing and, you know, taking any class I want to take. Oh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, Tim, let's see. We've got to pay the bills for you. So, but I need to ask a question. I ask almost all of my guests and I steal this from Scott's podcast because I love what it brings to the conversation. What are things that people need to either can start doing or stop doing to get better? Uh, 
to get better. Um, obviously, I think be op- more be or be more open minded. You talked about right, like check ego at the door. Um, check ego at the door, and just allow yourself to kind of immerse yourself in the journey. Right, mm-hmm. stop thinking you've learned it all and you've got it, or that you've learned one thing. So therefore that's been like the biggest boost in your, in your shooting. So therefore you're done with that. Like it, like that's, that, that needs to cease that you, you got to check that stuff and always be willing to test things. So, and I think the things that people need to start doing, right? So if that's the, I need to stop doing that. The things that people need to start doing is asking why, right? Don't be afraid to ask why. Don't take things at face value, regardless of who's telling you, regardless of who's teaching it. If they can't answer the why as to why they are, you know, offering you this particular concept or the particular way, or they're, you know, this is the particular technique or the skill. If they can't answer the whys as to why that is relevant, then I would start to look at whatever it is that that person is offering or wherever that information is that you got, um, I'd start looking at it with a little bit more skepticism. Um, I'm not saying be an absolute skeptic on everything, but be an absolute skeptic on everything. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just because this might be the be all end all technique that I may tell you, right. Or that Steve may tell you, or that Scott may tell you, or that, you know, Rob Latham himself might tell you question it. Um, and when I mean question it, don't, don't doubt it, but question it, question it's, it's, it's motive question. It's, um, advantage to you. Um, test it constantly, test it, think for yourselves, question everything, test everything. Um, don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to throw something that somebody put out there. If it doesn't match your mantra or doesn't match your your particular, you know, and everybody get, get, builds these loyalties to instructors or to educators that they might have trained under, or that you know, like, oh my God, that guy sees the you know sees the world through the same rose colored glasses that I have on. Stop it. Like, be willing to take those glasses off and accept other information from somebody else and test it. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, that I held near and dear and true to my heart you know, even three, four, five years ago that I have come full circle with, you know, and like think for myself, question everything. And I've gone back and looked at other techniques that I immediately discounted, you know, or was like, meh, I dismissed it because I think I've got my way figured out. And I've gone back later in my career and gone back and tested it and been like, oh shit, there really was some, you know, some really good advantage or motive to that. I, sh- I should have looked at that earlier from a different, you know, maybe from a different aspect. Maybe I just wasn't ready for that information at the time it was given to me, but I never stop learning. And anything that I hold near and dear, I like with a questionable mind, like, is this really the best that I can give myself? Not to mention, is this really the best information that I can give to my students? So I think as a student, you're doing yourself an immediate disservice um, and, and doing almost permanent damage to yourself and to your own growth. If you're just taking by face value from, I don't care who is teaching it. I don't care. 
question it, test it, um, and, and check it like without ego, without expectation, um, and find what absolutely positively, uh, like rings true and, and works best for you. You know, like don't stop thinking, you know, everything just because somebody higher up maybe than you might've said something that like agreed with you. Like, and I hate when I see people do that. Like that's the biggest thing that needs to stop. And the biggest thing that they need to start doing mm. is stop, stop just accepting mediocrity and start everything to find a better you. Right. And if we don't question things, and te- if we trust test things and don't really figure out how it works or find the ins and outs of it, I mean, it doesn't do us any good because to say that, for example, your trigger, like quick example, trigger control, if you just say trigger control is number one, well, have you tested it? Have you found what kind of trigger control you need? I mean, you don't need absolute trigger control, but you've got to, you've got to experiment. And I think that's what a lot of people, like you say, don't do. And it's like, if they took the time to you know test something out they might have found something i mean it's not new but new to them um technique to be to be better because like we said in the beginning nothing's truly new anymore i mean it's just the revolving circle of whatever whatever is new what is old is new and what is new is old and 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 a lot of it is you know i mean obviously what makes so many different instructors relevant or makes their information like maybe ring true with certain people is just, it's not that that information is, is brand new. It's not like nobody has reinvented anything. It's simply that maybe they found a better way to convey that information to that, that particular student base or that, that body of people, right. Or even just that one person that you're like, Oh my God, I totally understand what that guy means now, you know? And then like it, it may sound like new information. It's really not. Maybe you're just hearing it in a in a different way, right? And not and doing something because Robbie Latham says to do it doesn't mean that you're doing it like Robbie Latham said. You know, is doing it. I mean, he can say it, but it can totally mean something yep. totally different for you that what Robbie is trying to do. You know, what Robbie does. I mean, right. And that's a lot of people don't understand that either. Is that Robbie says this, but, and he knows what he's talking about and how he processes in his brain, but it doesn't necessarily mean your brain works like Robbie's does. Exactly. And and obviously, you know, I think most people take everything extremely literal, which means us as instructors can't be too cerebral about things. Um, you know, like as far as like, well, you know, you get super duper deep into the weeds about like, well, you know, like your mental process is this and your visual process is that a lot of times you just need to kind of knock all that, all that stuff off and give somebody like a literal, you just need to do this to get this in return. Right. And then Mm -hmm. maybe give them a little bit more of that cerebral stuff. Like this is why you're doing this to get this in return. And this is why you don't get this in return when this isn't applied to then maybe spark that, you know, that, that inner thinking or that inner monologue that a shooter, you know, or that a student should be having with themselves. But I think a lot of shooters, like they hear something, especially like with the advent of social media and everything being just like right there in their face is everybody takes something that might be very cerebral and might require a little bit more deep thought and understanding um, just to really consider it. And they stop doing any of that. And they just like, oh, well, so-and-so said that. That must be what I need to work on. And then they take they, they take a concept and turn it into a literal one. 
And then they wonder why they're not getting better, you know, mm-hmm. or they're not able to apply it the way that it might have been, it, it might have been conveyed to them. So I, I think sometimes instructors get, they try to get too cerebral and other instructors maybe don't get, don't get kind of in the weeds with things enough. You know, they, they just like, well, this is how I do it. This is the way you need to do it. And this is, and this, this is what the results you're going to get, you know, and then they do it or the student might do it once, even though they might've somewhat applied some of those concepts, but maybe they're not applying it hundred percent, but the instructor's like, see, told you. And it's like, but wait a minute. Did you just, did they really do what you wanted them to do? Or did they just get lucky one or two reps and somehow they put it together? But I don't ever want to have a student leave my class not understanding a concept that I talked about, mm-hmm. you know, wholeheartedly. And if that means we need to have a an hour long or two hour long discussion after class about something, dude, I'm willing to have those, those conversations, right? You know, because I don't want it to be just, we'll do it this way because that's how I do it. And this is how you'll get better. Boom. See, up, oh, you got better for that one or two reps. Yep. Just keep doing that and you'll get even more better. That doesn't happen that way, right? Like mm-hmm. I want students to understand. I want them to test concepts in class. I want them to think. I want them to research, you know, and that's that's one of the big takeaways of my class. That's one of the big draws to my curriculum is that like it forces you to think and answer questions that maybe you never thought to answer before. Absolutely. And honestly, in my personal experience, that class last year, you were on, we were on the range 12 hours both days from the time we got there to the time we left. And it was worth every minute because you, I mean, we'd talk and talk. I mean, last year, I I didn't let my ego get checked fully. I didn't ask enough questions. And on this year, I'm going to be that guy who's going to ask every time you want to ask. I mean, we're asking more questions. I don't care if I look stupid because I don't care. I'm there to learn. And someone else has got to have that question. I mean, don't people need to stop feeling bad about asking a question if even if you've talked about it maybe five minutes ago it's like bring it back up someone might have the same question you're lingering in your brain exactly i mean and and that's a class is supposed to be about learning it's not supposed to be just a drill instructor that or a drill leader that just like okay we're going to shoot these drills and you're magically going to get better as long as you apply these two three things or these four or five things or these ten things right i i my classes are not that way my classes are to give an open discussion and have people be able to answer questions about things that either they thought they held near and dear true to their heart or like it or to be an application of a concept that I might give them and have them ask me the whys and me being able to give them the whys, the what's, the hows, the how much is, you know, and, and give them every reason I possibly can to, you know, to answer their question as best I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, people ask questions. Don't don't feel bad. It's what they're there to do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's why we paid you to be. Well, you were, we paid you to give us the answers, but not literally give us the answers, but find us our own way to get the answer. But right, don't feel bad to ask questions, guys. I uh, I mean, I'll I'll look dumb. You you if you got a question, tell me to ask it, and I'll ask it for you. I don't care. <laughs> but Tim, we need to make sure that the sponsors get love too. So tell the people. I know you. I know you've got some sponsors, so share the love with them a little bit. And yeah, um, so yeah, I've I've been very fortunate to keep the same family of sponsors the last. Uh, I think this is going on year number three. Or actually, year number four with most of them. This is year number three with Nighthawk Custom. Um, this is year number four or five with Federal Premium Ammunition, um, which I know ammo is kind of tough to get right now. Um, trust me, guys. I know. 
working one-on-one with, uh, with Federal as well um, as an ambassador and as a representative of their company as well. I can tell you, these guys are working triple time and working triple shifts. They just opened the new facility. The, the old Remington facility in Arkansas was purchased by Federal um, from the now defunct Remington, completely like revamped it all up, um, you know, new machinery, new processes and things and reopen that machine. So, I mean, Federal's trying to do everything they possibly can to catch back up with the, uh, you know, with the, with the current level and current demand on ammo. Um, NIDOC's kind of the same way. I mean, those guys are, are working overtime, honestly, um, day and almost night um, to catch up on their backlog of orders on custom 1911s and 2011s and things. They build some of the finest 1911s I've ever had the opportunity to uh, to put in a holster, put in my hand. Um, I'm super happy to be with them as well. Um, Targets USA, um, out of Anchorage, Alaska, Jason Wood on Targets USA. If you're looking for the best steel targets on the market, especially for portability, modularity, um, Targets USA is the way to go. Um, the great thing is, is he builds them out of Anchorage, Alaska, and every single target system he has can fit in a U.S. Postal Service flat rate box and ship. So shipping charges are extremely cheap, um, and you're able to get stuff within, you know, four or five days or six days or, or things like that now. Um, and like I said, everything's portable. Everything's able to be taken apart, put back together. Ease of use of being able to take directly from your house to your range or leave set up on the range. Um, I've been shooting uh, for Jason for a number of years, and I always I, I get the opportunity. Me and Jay Beal uh, get the opportunity to kind of test and uh, and test and uh, and check out all of all of Jason's newest, uh, latest and greatest new you know steel toys and things like that too. Super cool. Uh, Red Hill Tactical for probably the best, absolutely hands down the best uh, double layer Kydex holsters on the market for competition um, and Dominant Defense, um, which you just purchased a Dominant Defense belt. So mm-hmm. I cannot wait for you to get yours and you can let me know what you think about it. But uh, Jason, uh, yeah, Jason at Dominant Defense um, out of Idaho uh, builds the premier uh, double layer belts that I, I've ever had the uh, the pleasure of, of being able to use Hunters Hunters HD Gold uh, with their uh, the the gold lenses that change uh, that uh, are photochromic, so they change as lighting conditions change. Now he's got the new HD Rubies, which are a dark red. Uh, shotgunner guys like those. My red dot guys uh, that shoot just primarily outdoors really like those. They're a little bit darker than the gold lenses, but. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been very fortunate to uh, to work with Brian at uh, at Hunter's HD Gold for the last uh, three years now. And these are great, great products from great people in the sport that constantly support uh, USPSA, IDPA, um, NRL 22, Precision Rifle. Uh, I, I just you name the sport. All of these guys are involved in that sport. Um, so definitely check them out. I'm super happy to be able to represent um, every single one of these great companies. And like I said, I'm not just a shill. I've never selected a company or had a company select me based on the fact that like, Oh, what can we get out of Tim? Or for me, Oh, hey, what can I get out of that company? I only represent companies that I want to have a long, you know, a, a lifelong standing with, uh, with these companies and their companies that their products I've been using for years before they ever approached me or I ever approached them for a representation simply because I believe in their products and, and what they can, what they can help a shooter do and accomplish. So mm-hmm. yeah, super glad to like, as 
have me for life, I'm not going anywhere. So I've, I've never been that type of person to like seek out sponsorships or, or want sponsorships from a million different people. Like I'm totally happy representing the companies that I represent. And if, you know, if things stop tomorrow, I'd still use those, those same products because I believe that much in them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with them and they, they're fabulous companies. Every one of them supports the shooting industry support supports the shooting sports. I mean, Brian Conley is at every major match that he can be at. Oh, he will God, let I don't you know how that guy does it. <laughs> he's got, really he's got all the energy in the world and probably the most supportive spot, uh, partner in the world. I mean, he is never home. He's got hundreds of, you know, thousands of dollars in his new Winnebago that he has with touring the, you know, with the guns and all the glasses. I got yep. my hunters. I uh, and I will say also, you know, uh, Jason Wood at Targets USA. I mean, the guy flies in from, uh, you know, Anchorage, Alaska and spends, Oh my God, I don't even know how many countless weeks throughout the year, you know, following the shooting circuit and going to different major matches and sponsoring and setting up steel and sending things to match directors and and helping set up matches too. I mean, you know, and, and still is running a business full time, you know, in Alaska. So, I mean, like definitely no one understand that these companies have your best interest at heart. You know, it, it like, trust me, Brian's not making any money traveling all over the country, borrow glasses or borrow iPro for major matches for free for the entire weekend, right? Like that's not paying him anything. What's paying him is getting those relationships or building those relationships based on the fact that he is a fantastic guy that truly supports shooters and wants shooters to have the best eye protection they can. Jason Wood doing the exact same thing being able to support shooters and supply shooters with the best deal he possibly can in hopes that you'll then seek out, you know, a business relationship with him, you know, to, to, to purchase your own stuff. And I mean, dude, it's, it, it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see that level of support. I just, I really want shooters to support those that support them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I, after the class last year, I called Jason Woods, you know, thinking maybe it's the business phone line. No, it's Jason's cell phone number. He called yep. me back while he was driving in the Kentucky state match. And we talked for almost 45 minutes on the phone about steel targets. I didn't make yep. a purchase that day. Cause my range uh, is not really set up for steel yet. But if I do, when I get steel, it'll be targets, USA steel. Um, Brian, when I ordered my hunters, HD golds, he was, he, I emailed him at six in the morning. He was back at six Oh five, five minutes later, he sent me a reply email to get me started on my prescriptions. Yep. Th that man burning the candles at both ends. I mean, but you're right. He doesn't make money demoing glasses, but he gets that on return when he gets those glasses back in $400. Say, here, can I have a pair? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and like I said, every single company that I work for, you know, and that I get to represent all have that same like goal to help, you know, to help their clientele. Um, and, and, you know, and, and obviously that, that is also, I think, a direct reflection of me. Um, anytime that you've ever been able to send me a message or people send me messages or emails all the time, you know, I, I don't let them linger. I don't let them just go into my junk drawer, you know, my junk folder or anything like that. Like I, I thrive on being able to answer your questions or help out as much as I can, obviously with the hopes that dude, if you see how, how strongly I, I want to get back with you and give you pertinent information, hopefully you're going to want to seek out training with me and I'll, I'll get to spend some more one-on-one -on -one time with you and, and, and earn your business, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And I mean, no, luckily for me, we're going to see each other in June 
and we're gonna crack a beer. We're gonna crack a beer and have some pizza together. I know for at least one of those nights, and it'll be a good time. And um, Tim, where can they find you? I know we've talked about they can get a hold of you, but where? Um, I'm just about every single social media outlet there is, uh, with the exception of Twitter. I don't. I refuse to get involved in all the drama that is Twitter. So uh, Instagram um, at Tim Heron Shooting. Um, I've got a YouTube channel with like a lot of uh, really good content, or I hope it's really good content. People tell me free it's really milk. good content. It's, it's on, free milk, uh, On YouTube, it's all a lot of free milk, as, as Jedi would say. Um, and then Tim Heron shooting um, on YouTube. And then, of course, I've got Tim Heron on Facebook, and I've also got Tim Heron shooting, which is kind of like my, my business page on Facebook, and I'm constantly sharing information and stuff there as well. Um, and then, of course, my website, which is timheronshooting.com, right? Everybody seeing a trend here. It's very easy to reach out to me. Um, you can send me an email, uh, like I said, at tim at timheronshooting or info at timheronshooting.com and reach out to me. Send me an email. I promise you those emails do not get like, like kind of scoured over and thrown off to the side. Every single email I've ever gotten from anybody, if it's a legitimate email and not some sort of weird business proposal or, you know, like spam stuff, I get back to, to people I like I would like to say I'm very proud I get back to people within 24 hours if not within the hour uh, mm -hmm. of when I get an email from somebody uh, private messages through Facebook or uh, Instagram I get back to those almost immediately as well um, like I said I mean if, if you've got questions I've got answers and I, I love uh, you know I, I love to be a part of this community and and to give back as much as I can. Oh, absolutely. And Tim, you are a phenomenal person. You are almost, you are deemed the nicest person in competition shooting. And I like to keep it that way. So I want to thank you personally for coming on tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Like I said, you've been a big mentor to me and everyone in the shooting community. Thank you for coming on, spending your time, even though you've got to be up at the ass crack of dawn, literally <laughs> to, in the morning. I appreciate It'll be it. Black when I get up, but that's okay. This is all worth it, man. Mm hmm. And thank you, everyone, for checking out. Um, this will be up on YouTube, anywhere you can get your podcasting app. Um, check it out. Leave me a review. I greatly appreciate it. Punk kind of pumps me in the uh, algorithms, wherever it's at. So, guys, check it out. Uh, check out Tim at TimHeronShooting.com or anywhere on social media. Just look up Tim Heron. He's not the golfer, guys. Trust me, he's not the big, fat golfer. But anyway, <laughs> have a good one night, everybody, and take her easy. Thanks, Alex.